If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table there, and uh, someone would be happy to get one for you, or feel free to jump up and grab one. But we're in, in Luke, chapter 15, continuing and finishing up the story of the, the two lost sons in Luke 15. Do you happen to know any siblings that they are related, but they seem like total opposites? Uh, maybe you have a sibling, <laughs> and you are the complete opposite of them. Maybe you think about uh, a, a pair of people, two brothers or two sisters, and you know one is sort of straight-laced and always does the right thing, and the other one's kind of a rebel. Or, or maybe they just don't look at all like each other. You think, you guys are siblings? I was reminded of a cultural reference that Andrea said no one would know. Uh, I don't even think I saw this movie, maybe on TV sometime, but in the 80s there was a movie called Twins, where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito were supposed to be brothers. If you know anything about them, then they don't look at all like each other, but they were brothers. Well, in the parable here of the two lost sons uh, and this gracious waiting father, we have these, these two brothers who look like they are complete opposites. They look like they are, they are totally different from each other. It, you see one who, who disrespects his father, uh, who, who wants nothing to do with his family, and another who stays with the father and who is in the house and seems to support his family. Uh, we have the, the younger brother who fills his life with blatant sin and rebellion. And then we have the, the elder brother who seems, by all appearances, to be obedient, to be doing what he's supposed to do. We see one, the younger brother, who finds himself in a pigsty at the end of his rope. And then we see the elder brother who stayed at the father's house and was always there with him. But in reality, for all their apparent differences, these two brothers as much as they would like to deny it, especially the older brother, are very similar. They, they look more alike than we might imagine. And in fact, we might be a lot more like both of them than we want to admit, including the older brother. The outward sin, the, the obvious sin of, of this younger brother, is something that we can all recognize. We've all seen it. We've all seen it in ourselves, and, and we've seen it in, in others. We know the dangers of, of that kind of outright rebellion against God. But the sin of the, of the elder brother is, is, is more subtle. It's, it's more secret. It's, it's more hidden. But it is just as dangerous, and it is just as damning as the sin of the younger brother. In fact, their outward sins look different, but the, the root problem is the same in both of them. And the root is that, that they want what the Father can give them, but they don't want the Father. They want the gifts and the benefits and the blessings of the Father, but they really have no interest in being near Him, in loving Him, in, in being in His house. And this morning, as we look at the elder brother, we're going to see some similar themes, but specifically I want to say that the, the elder brother is going to teach us that sons who live like slaves will never celebrate with the father. Sons who live like slaves will never celebrate with the father. Some of us have been prodigals. You've, you've, you've been one that has wandered away like this younger son. Um, some of you may still be prodigals, and God is calling you home. 
But if you've been in church for any period of time or had any exposure to Christianity, it's, it's likely that you have a little bit of the elder brother in your heart, hidden away somewhere. Many of us live like slaves in the Father's house. Many of us miss the celebration that the Father has going on. So I want you to listen, and I, and I want to listen as, to this section of the story as if it's to me. So, so don't expect that you're looking for the elder brother tendencies in your neighbor or, or in your spouse or in someone you know from back home. I want you to think about it for you. Where, where's the elder brother that's, that's residing, that's living inside me? Because I think it's there in all of us. Let's think about this story a little bit. Some of you haven't been with us. You, you may not remember the story of the prodigal son, but there's some different scenes. So let's just kind of go back to some of these scenes. The first scene back in, in verse 11 of, of chapter 15, we have the, the two sons, and the, the, the scene is at the father's house. And we're at the father's house, and the prodigal son, the younger son, says, give me my inheritance. And the father willingly gives the son his inheritance. And that son leaves. And so the next scene is of uh, a distant country, some, some other place, where we see this younger son spending all of his inheritance, everything that his father had given him. He's spending it seeking pleasure, seeking satisfaction. He's trying to find all these things, and slowly he's in this downward spiral, trying to be satisfied, never being satisfied, until the next scene that we see is in a pigsty, where this boy is sitting in the mud, getting ready to eat, pig food because he has nothing else to eat and he has spent his father's entire inheritance. And it's in that moment that that God opens his eyes, he comes to himself and he's given the gift of repentance. And then the the climax of the story is is the scene on the road, the road leading up to the father's house. And we see the son in the distance coming and you can almost envision the father running full speed to meet his son, to embrace his son, to welcome his son home. And he says, this son of mine was lost and is found. He was dead, and now he is alive. Let's celebrate. So the next scene that we have, that we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 25, is, is of a field. So this, the scene is now of a field. The, the father's house is nearby. It's, it's sort of within eye, eye shot. You can see it, but you're, you're, we're, we're away from the father's house. We're, we're in a field. And, and you, you can hear the noises of a party starting. The father has started this party and, and, and you can hear music and you can hear dancing and you can hear people laughing and having a good time. And not only that, but you can smell something. You smell meat cooking. It's barbecue. It's some, something's going on. There's a party and there's going to be good food at this party. It's getting into full swing. And in that field is, is the elder son. And this is the final scene of the story. It's one that's often lopped off, but it's very important because this is when Jesus is going to deliver a strong word to Pharisees. Pharisees in the crowd that day and the Pharisee in our own heart. The the Pharisees who were grumbling back in verses 1 and 2 about the fact that Jesus was welcoming sinners and tax collectors. They were upset about that. And so Jesus is going to give them a strong word in the picture of the elder son who is a representation of the Pharisees, and the scribes. So look with me in Luke 15, and I want to read verses 25 to 32. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother, your brother has come. 
And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting. It was right to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the scene opens and we see this elder brother. He's out in the field. He's hardworking. He's, he's obedient. He's keeping all the commands of the Father. And when he hears and he smells and he sees all the markers of some kind of a party in the home of his father, he wonders what's going on. Now, if I was wondering what was going on in my father's house, the place that I lived, that there was a party happening, I would go down and find out what's with the party here. But he doesn't. He talks to a slave first, a servant there that he finds, and he says wants to know what's going on. He asks this servant to tell him. And the servant lets him know. I think part of the reason he didn't go down is because he had an inclination about why this party was going on. He'd been around long enough. He'd watched his father look down the road day after day. He'd heard his father weep over this younger brother that had gone. And he knew that if that son came back, the father would probably welcome him in. And if that's what this party is about, the elder brother wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't even want to pretend like he wants to go to this party. And so this this servant is there and gives him good news. The good news about his, his brother and about his father. And what's his response? You see it there in verse 28. But he was angry and he refused to go in. Let's think about this elder brother. Let's think about him specifically in the, the elder brother's pride. I think that's the root cause of his sin. And we're just going to kind of try to describe that. The elder brother's pride. The text tells us that he was angry. Who is he angry at? Is he, is he mad at his brother? Now, he's certainly not in his brother's fan club. <laughs> he doesn't really like his brother very much. You might imagine, you know, they were always so different. Um, he never understood his brother. He, he never got why he did the things that he did. They were always doing the opposite thing. And, and everyone wondered, how can you guys be brothers? You're, you're so different. And so when he wandered off and spent all the inheritance, I think this elder brother probably really didn't care. He probably had no interest in his younger brother. He probably felt very little sadness or grief. He may have been actually happy to see him go because it meant that that um, there was less competition in the house. He could now just you know, be the only person in the house, the only son, the good son that his father would love even more. So he might be a, a little angry with his brother to a certain extent, but the, the, elders, the elder son's anger, I think, is most directly pointed at his father. He is mad at his father, and he refuses to come in. He's not coming into his father's house. He refuses to join his father's feast. It sounds a lot like the Pharisees and the scribes, right, where they wouldn't come in, or they refused to rejoice that sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus. So instead we see the elder son, he's standing outside, 
He's close enough to the house that everyone can see that he's there, but he's far enough away to say, I'm here, but I'm not there. I'm not with you guys. I'm not a part of this party. He will not be partaking in any dancing or drinking or eating of the fattened calf that his father, who is being completely ridiculous, has killed for this son that has come back. This act of refusing to come in is is shameful. It shames the father and it and it shames the son as well. But the son, it, it, he just can't hide his anger anymore. This is kind of the last straw. He's angry at his father. He has suppressed his anger for long enough. And now someone needs to let his father know how foolish he is being. And the elder son has determined that he's going to be the guy that, do, that does it. So the, the father somehow catches wind that the elder boy is out and won't come in to the party. And, and so um, he doesn't send a servant. The father himself goes out and he entreats. He, he pleads with the son to, to come in. But the son has a speech. He has a speech that he has recited over and over in case this day ever came. He knows what he's going to say. Just like the younger brother. You remember the younger brother had his speech ready to go. He didn't get his whole speech out, but this elder brother is determined that he's going to say what he wants to say. He's going to let his father know what he thinks about what he is doing. And as we think about the elder brother, we think about his pride. The first thing that he says is, I am your slave. He says to his father, I am your slave. He says that there, if you, if you notice in verse 29, he answered his father, look, which first of all, I mean, that's just, what a way to address your father. He doesn't say, my father. That's what the, the younger boy says, father, I have sinned against you. But he says, look, these many years I have served you. Literally, I have been your slave. I have slaved for you. This is so sadly ironic, isn't it? When we think back to the, to the younger boy who comes home, he comes home and what does he say? Father, make me a servant. Make me one of your slaves. And the father says, no, you will be a son. And this boy who has always been with his father, who, who looks like a son, thinks of himself as a slave. I'm a slave in this household. His whole life he has lived in, in service to his father. He's seeking to earn his inheritance, to earn acceptance. Even, even this picture of him outside the house, he's not there. It, it indicates that despite appearances, he's really not a part of the family at all. He's not a son. We've often quoted J.I. Packer when he says, you can tell how much a person understands about being a Christian by how much they make of the fact that God is their father. I think that is so true. And in this case, the son knows nothing about being a son. He knows nothing about grace and forgiveness and love and salvation. And I think that can be true for us, can't it? That, that when it comes to our relationship with God, do you think of yourself more as a son or more as a slave? As a servant, someone that's got to that's earn God's favor. How do you view your relationship with God? Is he a, a, a master who tells you what you have to do? Are you outside the home? Are you just simply seeking to do the right thing, trying to gain entrance into the home? Or are you a son? Are you a daughter, realizing that, that God has given you all things, that nothing can be earned? It's your inheritance. So he says, I am, a, I am your slave. And his speech continues, and he says to his father, I am righteous. 
I am righteous. I have done what is right. He says, I never disobeyed any of your commands. We hear echoes of the rich young ruler, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists some of the laws and he says, I've done all that from my youth up. I've always obeyed the commands. This elder son, he knew how to keep laws and rules. He's just like the Pharisees. He knows what to do and he does it well. He's clean. He, he'd never made a mess of his life like his brother had. He always did what he was supposed to do. Maybe you can relate to that. You just, you've always done what's right. You say, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I've never wandered away. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I've, I've always done what is right. Well, maybe you did wander, but you, you came back, and now you look at your life and you say, you know what, I, just, I always do what is right. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. I, I'm pretty righteous about the things that I do. And so related to that, he says, not only I am your slave and I am righteous, but then he says, I should be celebrated. I should be celebrated. He says, listen, you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. Remember this, this theme of rejoicing and celebrating throughout the parable. What are we always rejoicing and celebrating in? We're rejoicing and celebrating in sinners that have come home. And the son here is saying, this elder boy is saying, you should rejoice in me. You should rejoice in what I have done, that I have, done, I have always done what is right in my righteousness. He's, he's upset about the party because, because his lousy brother who never did what was right, is now being celebrated in the household. And he's the one that's always done the right thing. And he is the one who's stuck around. And he is now outside. And no one's talking about how great he is. If you're a Pharisee, then you think, well, he's kind of got a point. I mean, he did stick around. He did always do what was right. And such is the deception of our hearts is that we don't see even the sin and the wickedness in the good things that we do. As Isaiah says, that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags because they are tainted with our pride and with our selfishness and with our sin. And we're doing them because we want the gifts of God, but we don't want God himself. We just want to be blessed. We just want the good things. We live like a slave. We think we're righteous in and of ourselves. But we feel this desire to be celebrated, don't we? I mean, we all want to be recognized. Who doesn't want to be recognized? We want to be celebrated because of all the good things that, that, that we've done. You know, we stay humble. We work in, in the background, behind the scenes. But, you know, someone sees that. And one day, you know, they're going to let everyone know how great we are. The father's going to say, listen, my son has been faithful all these years. Let's have a party and celebrate how faithful he has been. He's been so good. I'm so lucky to have a son like this. I'm so lucky to have a, a daughter like this. But you, you see, even in his request, though, he's, he's indicating he doesn't really care about the father. I want a young goat so that I can celebrate with who? With my friends. <laughs> Every day he's in the father's house. Every day he eats with the father. That's not enough. I want to have a young goat. I want to have a party with my friends. His desire is, he's, he's not content to be at home with his dad. He, he, in fact, he's just like the prodigal, isn't he? He just doesn't have the guts to leave. <laughs> he doesn't want the father. He just wants the gifts of the father. He actually might be greedier than his, his brother because he's willing to stick around and put on a show so that he might get a little bit more out of his father. Suddenly we, be, we start to see why this guy is so angry, don't we? It's because in his eyes... He has earned acceptance from the Father. 
He's done everything that was right. He has earned acceptance by the Father, and his brother has not. His brother has no place at the table. He has not earned acceptance. This boy has slaved for years, he says. He does everything that his father tells him to do. He is as righteous as he can be. If, if someone deserves a party, it's me. I'm the one that should be celebrated. I'm reminded of the parable where uh, Jesus talks about the master who goes into the city and hires different people. And he goes early in the morning and hires some. And he goes a little bit later and hires some more. And he does that throughout the day until he hires some people that work for only an hour. And then at the end of the day, everyone gets paid the same amount. And the people that were there early in the morning and worked through the heat of the day say, this is not fair. And the master, in a sense, says, whatever you get is grace, and I will give as much as I want to whoever I want. You're not in charge of that. The elder brother knew that his brother had earned nothing but rejection. And still the father throws a party for him. But he is under some illusion that he had earned acceptance, that he had earned a party. So if he's going to be, if he's not going to be paid back, if he's not going to be recognized for his righteousness, if he's not going to be celebrated for all the things that he's done, then the last thing he says is, I reject you, and I reject your son. I want nothing to do with you. He calls him this son of yours. It's not my brother, it's this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. So too, if, if, if we live like slaves, if we, if we think that, that we are righteous, if we think that we should be celebrated because we have done all these great things, then we will reject God as our Father. We will reject Him and we will despise anyone that He welcomes in who doesn't live up to our standard of righteousness. We will see them as unworthy. That the sin of the elder brother is his pride, and his pride keeps him from seeing that he is just as sinful as his younger brother. He is just as undeserving of a party as his younger brother. And if he wants to come into the father's house, he has to come just like his younger brother. He cannot earn his way in. Let me summarize with a quote from John MacArthur in his book on the parable. He says, The elder son is the perfect emblem of the Pharisees. He had no appreciation for grace because he thought he didn't need it. As we shall soon observe, he figured he had earned his father's full approval without recourse to any special grace or mercy. He didn't need grace and had never thought to ask for any. If he didn't, if he didn't need grace and had never thought to ask for any, he didn't see why grace should be offered to anyone else. The truth is, he didn't really even believe in grace. He might have given lip service to the word. He probably talked about God's mercy and forgiveness as though he really believed in those virtues. But in reality, he thought of such things as favors to be earned rather than holy, gracious blessings that can only be granted freely. He had no concept of unmerited favor. The very idea of free forgiveness was repugnant to him. This is the pride of the elder brother. This is the pride that, that lurks in all of our hearts. It's this thought that, that we can be slaves for God, we can be servants of God, and we can earn His favor. It's the thought that I am righteous on my own and I should be celebrated. That's not at all how salvation works, though, and we see it in the loving plea of the Father. So we've looked at the, the elder brother's pride. Let's, let's look at the loving plea of the Father. 
you can see that both of these sons are actually lost in almost the same way because the plea of the father is, is different words, but it's almost identical, the way that he's calling these boys to come back home. The first thing we passed over is is when the father comes out to the son. So we can we, let's just call this God's initiating love. God's initiating love. You see it um, in, in in verse twenty eight. The son is angry and refuses to go in, and his father came out. His father came out and entreated him, just like with that younger son. The younger son was, was on the road and the father runs to him and covers his, his shame. So too with the elder brother, he, he doesn't rebuke him. He comes, in with, he comes to him with open arms. He doesn't say to a servant, he's, you know, go out there and tell that boy to get inside and tell him to do it right now. Because you know what the elder son would have done? He'd have come in. Because he knows how to keep commands. That's what he does. He knows how to obey. But the father doesn't do that. Instead, the father goes out, he entreats him, he he implores him, he in fact begs him, Son, come into the party. And so too, just as the sheep was sought for, the coin was searched for, earlier on in the chapter, the son, the the father is the one who initiates salvation. In, In our sin, we are not seeking the father. We are standing outside the party with our arms crossed, refusing to go in. Or we're th- sitting there thinking, I should be allowed in because I've done all these good things. And the Father comes out and He's entreating us. He's saying, come in. Come into the party. He begs us to come in. God's initiating love. We see again, like we saw last week, God's unreserved forgiveness. His unreserved forgiveness. What's, what's absent from this is, is any... Um, any stipulation that the Father gives. You can come in once you do X, Y, Z. You're going to need to grovel. You're going to let everyone know how foolish you were for doing all these things. And then maybe you can come in, but no fattened cat for you. I mean, it's nothing like that. He's entreating him. He's saying, come in, please. Lovingly, he invites him. Uh, Related to that, Unreserved forgiveness is is this extravagant grace. We talked about God's extravagant love. It's just here again. And he he says later on, even after this boy has disrespected and given this whole speech, he says in verse 31, he says, Son, son. It's actually the word, my child. It's a a word for a little child. Say, listen, you, you are my son. You're saying you're you're a slave, but I want you to be my my child. I want to adopt you. I want you to be in my family. I don't want you to be a slave. I'm not asking you to be a slave. I'm asking you to come in as a son. And then he says, my son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The the things that the father had, how's the son going to get them? Can he earn them? No, it's an inheritance. In fact, he already has it. The father has already divided his property. The son actually, this is true, all that I have is yours. The father is saying, listen, I've already divided everything. It's all yours anyways. You have it. So why are you trying to earn it? This, this is the grace of God. He just keeps saying, listen, I don't want you as a slave. I want you as a son. And, and you don't have to earn anything I will give it to you 
in Christ. This is the, the grace of God. It is nothing that we can earn. And then you see God's invitation to rejoice. He says, it's fitting to celebrate. It, it's right. This is the logic of the kingdom. The logic of the kingdom is that when sinners come, we just we celebrate. That's what you do when sinners come home. We had to rejoice and be glad. We, we didn't. Even, there was no choice. We had to celebrate. Because your brother was dead. And he's alive. If someone's dead and comes back to life, you have to rejoice. If, if you lost something and then you found it, you have to rejoice. That's what the Father's saying. Listen, he's come home. And in that is sort of this unstated invitation that says, and if you come home, we will celebrate you. If you will come in, just like your brother did, repentant, not saying, look at all that I've done, not saying I'm righteous on my own. If you will come in repentance and say, I don't deserve to be at this party. I don't deserve any of the blessings of my father. I don't deserve to be a son. If you come in in that way, then you will be welcomed and we will celebrate with you. But you got to come in like a sinner. Because who does God rejoice in? Repentant sinners. And if this boy will come in repentance, then they will celebrate with him. So we see God's initiating love. He's the one that comes. We see God's unreserved forgiveness. We see God's extravagant grace. We see God's invitation to rejoice. And not just to, to, to rejoice over His own salvation, but to rejoice with those that have, have been invited in. We see here that Jesus loves Pharisees and scribes. We think that Jesus hates them sometimes, but He loves them. He is entreating them. He loves prideful religious elites and hypocrites like us. And He lovingly entreats us to come into the party. And it's not a party that celebrates us. It's not a party about me. It's not a young goat killed for me and my friends. No, it's a party that, that celebrates and exalts in the free and unmerited grace of God. It's a party that's only possible because God has organized it and sent out the invitations and given you one. And He invites us to come. It's a party that's, that's open to all who have rejected the love of God, but who would come in repentance and faith and seek forgiveness and seek to be made sons and daughters. It's a party where the Father adopts us and gives us an eternal inheritance. And if the Pharisees could have seen that, if we could see that, if we could see that we are lost sons, not just those who have wandered away, but those who have stayed, those who have tried to do the right thing over and over again, that we are just as lost. We are just as in need of God's forgiveness. When we come to that place and we see that even our good things are tainted by sin, then we will rejoice at anyone who comes in. The reason the Pharisees could not rejoice is because they thought they had earned their way in. And so all these people that had obviously not earned their way in did not deserve to be welcomed. But if you see, I don't deserve to be here either, then anyone who comes in is worthy to be celebrated. Notice last, um, God's seeking. We said God's initiating love. Let's call this God's seeking. Um, 
and I want to confess right off the bat that this is 100% stolen from Tim Keller in The Prodigal God. I had never thought of this in my whole life, and it just is amazing. So we said last week that the difference between those first two parables, you remember there's the lost sheep and the lost coin. And in both of them, something is lost. Someone seeks really hard for it. They find it, and then there's rejoicing. And what's absent in the parable of the prodigal son is the seeking aspect. No one goes out looking for the prodigal. Now, we said last week that, that there's a sense in which um, the way that the, the, the consequences of sin are God seeking, that, that God's providence through the famine is him seeking, um, him running out is him seeking. But, but in fact, not in the same sense, is it, that, that someone's going out looking. And what Keller opened my eyes to is that he says that the person that should have been seeking is the elder brother that the elder brother should have gone out and looked for his younger brother. That was his responsibility. That's a tall order when you think about it. Because the father has, has divided the inheritance. The elder son gets two-thirds. The younger son gets his third and takes off with it. And we know what he's going to do with it. He's going to blow it all. And so if this elder son is going to go out and get his younger brother, it's going to cost him something. Some people say that the parable of the prodigal son, there's no cost to forgiveness, that God just freely forgives. But there, there's cost to someone. And in fact, when the brother comes back, part of the reason that the elder brother might be upset is because that's my inheritance. That's my fattened calf. This, this is all mine. This, you're, you're tapping into the things that are mine now. It's costing me something. But, but if he was a good elder brother, he would have gone out and he would have searched for his younger brother at the cost of his own inheritance. But he doesn't. And so listen to this from this book, The Prodigal God. Keller writes, By putting a flawed elder brother in the story, Jesus is inviting us to imagine and yearn for a true one, for a true elder brother. And we have him. Think of the kind of brother we need. We need one who does not just go to the next country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth. We need one who is willing to pay not just a finite amount of money, but at the infinite cost of his own life to bring us into God's family, for our debt is so much greater. Either as elder brothers or as younger brothers, we have rebelled against the Father. We, we deserve alienation, isolation, and rejection. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. There is no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself. Our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with the dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There, Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother. It's powerful to think about that. The story ends with a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens with this elder brother. Does he come in? In some sense, Jesus, I think, is inviting the 
Pharisees to come in, but he's also leaving this cliffhanger saying that he will be the older brother. He will seek out prodigals. He will seek out elder brothers. He will seek out everyone in between, and he will do it at the cost of his own life. So wherever you are, if, if you're a prodigal, you, you need an elder brother to come and find you. And Jesus has. He's come. He's laid down his life. He's paid the price for your sin. He will give you the righteousness you don't have. He will make you a son. He will give you inheritance. And if you're an elder brother, you need the true elder brother. You need Jesus to, to come and to, to give you the righteousness that you think you have, but that you don't really have because you can't do enough good things to earn God's salvation. All we do is sin. And we deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath. We deserve God's justice. But Jesus has come and paid the price and the cost so that we could be with Him. So that we could be invited into the party. So that we could be a part of the family. So that we could be true sons and daughters of God. Let me ask just a few questions to close us out. Are you an elder brother? Are you an elder brother who in fact is actually still outside the house? That your entire life is a self-salvation project? You think you can do enough good things to make God happy with you. But that's what you're banking on. That at the end of the day, maybe I've done more good than bad and God will invite me into His kingdom. The Father is coming out to you. He is entreating. Don't, don't be like that. Come in. Come into the party. You have nothing to offer. I don't want anything. I want to make you a son. I want to make you a daughter. I want to give you my righteousness. Secondly, something for us to meditate on who have been invited into the feast and who have come in, who have put our faith in Christ for salvation. What attitudes of that elder brother have crept into our hearts? How are we like these Pharisees? Do we say things like, I am your slave, God. I'm trying to earn my keep. Trying to do enough good things to to be with you. There's certainly a sense in which the Bible talks about us being slaves for Christ, servants of Christ. But has that turned into something where you're trying to earn salvation? Are you putting more stock in your own righteousness than in Christ's righteousness? Are you thinking that you've got this all figured out on your own? Are you thinking that you deserve to be celebrated because God must be so happy that I'm one of His children and not realizing that it's all of grace? And when we look at that, when we see our sinful hearts, because it's all in there, go there, but then let's go to the Father. Let's, let's look at the Father. Let's look at that true elder brother. Let's rejoice that, that we have a heavenly Father who has invited all prodigals and all elder brothers to come in. Let's rejoice that the God who invites everyone to come in. Let's rejoice that, that we have a heavenly Father who has initiating love. He's the one that comes to us first. We have a God who offers unreserved forgiveness. He doesn't want anything from us. He doesn't ask us to do anything. He freely forgives when we would repent. He is a God of extravagant grace who adopts us as children and then gives us an eternal inheritance that will last for all eternity. He is a God who celebrates over us. He rejoices that we are His sons and daughters. And He is the God who has sent Jesus to be the elder brother that we are not and the elder brother that we all need. The one who has come and who has bought us and brought us in at the cost of his own life.